0: Thank you very much, and thank you very much to uh, Rich and the team leading us so very, very well in in our worship. It's such an important part of what we do, isn't it? And I was really blessed during that time. It's great to be here again, and great to be with you, great to experience the presence of the Lord together, great to worship the Lord together, great to rejoice in Him together. Amen? Amen. We're going to read the Word of God from uh, John's Gospel. A few short verses from chapter 15. Jesus speaking to the disciples. I'm going to read a could really read the whole chapter, but I'm going to focus in on a few verses from verse 9 to verse 14 here. And Jesus saying, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands... And remain in his love. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. That's as far as I want to go. Um, we've got a garage at our house and it's a garage in which you can actually put the car. Has anyone else got one of those unique things? Yes, well, I decided and it was preying on my conscience that I needed to <clears throat> clear the garage out <clears throat> so I could put the car in on those winter Nights when it gets frosty, which would save me then scraping the car uh, in the morning. So I've been trying to do that sometimes. I forget, I must admit. Of course, in the last couple of days, I haven't needed to do that. So left the car out this morning, uh, last night. I mean, got in the car this morning. Of course, it's all, you know, because of the change in temperature, it's all fogged up, isn't it? You got a huge amount of condensation in the car. So getting in the car this morning, before I drive off, Got to clear the windscreen, haven't I? You you know, because it's all fogged up. There's no way, I think, that you would drive off in your car with the windscreen fogged up. You'd want to clear it first. Or, on a frosty morning, when it's covered in frost, you're not going to drive off. Although, you do see some people who've got a little band of the windscreen clear as they're driving off down there. I trust you've never done that, but... Anyway, the point is this that we want to clear our vision, clear the screen for our vision so we can see clearly. And I think sometimes as well, we need to do that with our vision of God. Sometimes we just need to clear our vision, clear the lens of our vision, if you like. I've got some glasses, and I need glasses to see a distance. I don't need them for reading, but I. And sometimes when I take my glasses off, I don't know about you, I thought I didn't realize they got so dirty. You ever been in that situation, where all got smudged, or you think, oh my word, I'm surprised I can see out of those. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just need to cleanse the lenses. And so I want to just take a moment or two to cleanse the lens of our thinking about God, because I think this is very important. It's clear from Jesus' teaching that we have an enemy called the devil. And we're very naive if we think that there isn't a spiritual battle going on. And it's always been the strategy of Satan to destroy our relationship with God. We see that right at the beginning in, in Eden, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Where Satan comes and he makes God out to be a liar. One of the first things he says, you will surely not die if you eat from that tree. The forbidden tree. You shall surely not die. Which totally contradicts of course what the Lord has said. The Lord has said to them, if you eat from that tree you will die. So Satan is there, he's making God out to be a liar. He wants to destroy the relationship, he wants to cloud their vision of who God is. He also makes God out to be someone who's unreliable, and who wants to withhold, this is a key thing as well, that God wants to withhold good from us. So he says to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, if you eat the fruit, one, you will not die. We know that's a lie. He says, if you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So in other words, what he's saying here is he's saying, God is actually, he's holding out on you. He's out to deny you fulfillment and life. Again, it's a lie. He wants to destroy the relationship. He wants to cloud the, the lens of the vision of God. The problem is, if we're honest, we can live our lives swallowing the lie. Have you ever swallowed the lie? I must confess that at times I have, maybe not totally, but when some of the severe difficulties in life come, not of our own making, it's very tempting for our view of God to change, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. Here is an example of maybe some of our thinking. Have you ever thought this? Have you ever said this? If he cared, if God cared, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever asked the why question? Why did that person die so young? Why was that child abused? But we can be tempted to make it even more of an accusation towards the Lord. Why did you allow that person to die so young? Why did you allow that child to be abused? Why didn't you stop the holocaust? You ever thought those things? Ever said those things? Maybe even now you still wrestle with those kind of questions or those kind of statements. The assumption is there God doesn't care, He doesn't exist, and He doesn't know what He is doing. We can be tempted to think that God is some joyless being out to get us. When I was a boy and I went to secondary school up in Scotland, the very first secondary school I went to, I had to go there for a a term. I can't remember why, but I went anyway. And um, they had in the classroom, and this may bring memories back for some of you, the, the desks were in rows. There was none of this sitting in groups carry on. It was one behind the other facing the blackboard. And I can remember it was the end of term and we had our end of term report cards. And the end of term report card was open on the desk in front of us. And the headmaster came in. And in those days, you had to show respect. Maybe different these days, I don't know. And uh, you had to stand up. So everybody in the room stood up and in he came. And he came in with his red pen. And he came around the class. And I can remember <laughs> as if it was yesterday. My report card was out on the desk. And in he comes with his red pen. And he looks at my report and he circles in red, all those things where he felt that I hadn't done very well. And then he walked off. He might have said that something I can't remember. And I wonder if that is a kind of idea that we have about the Lord. A kind of critical overseer with his red pen looking to find fault with you and me. Just watching you. See what you've done right or wrong today. And then he gets his red pen out and he circles it. Sometimes our view of God can be a bit distorted. And I'm going to quote something which has been quoted a few times at Kings, which I love, and I think it helps cleanse the lens of our perception of what God is like. So let's have a look at this. It's by G.K. Chesterton. You may have heard it before, but I think it's worth repeating. He says this Because children have abounding vitality, because they are free, they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up children are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I love that. You know, another way of putting it is this. God's not the miserable one. It's us. And we simply project what we're like onto him. As we were... um, I'm going to sort of digress a few times this morning, I think. And uh, as we were worshiping the Lord this morning, I was reminded of wisdom. And how in the book of Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. And when God uh, made the universe, made the cosmos, and talks about wisdom being there by his side. And it says this, um, I was constantly at his side. This is wisdom personified speaking. I was constantly at his side. Listen to this. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in the human race. To me, it seems to be this, a sort of huge, abundant, bouncy joy going on there. Unquenchable joy that's going on in the creation. And as we were worshiping the Lord as well this morning, I was thinking of snowflakes. I was thinking of... You know how every snowflake is different. It's just different. It's it's got common features apparently. It's got six points. But every single one is different. I was just, as we were worshipping the Lord, I was just trying to get my head around how, how could that be. And I was also thinking that probably since the creation of the world, it's been snowing somewhere every moment of the day. Think about it. So like maybe in the Himalayas, for example, or in the Alps, I don't know, or the Rockies, it's snowing somewhere right now. And uh, I was thinking, if that's the case, and every snowflake's got six points, and every snowflake is different, how could that be? How could that be? And I thought, well, you know, God delights, he's sort of delighting. In his creation. And it helped again, it helped just cleanse the lens of my perception. I also had a sense as we were worshipping the Lord this morning. And this is not in the script, so I am digressing, but hey-ho. As we were, um, we were worshipping the Lord this morning, I had a great sense. And it was before we sang a particular song, which came later on in the set. I had a great sense that we were joining with heaven. I had a great sense that the angels were dancing with us. They were dancing. They were rejoicing. They were, they were like saying, it's the people of God meeting today. And they're worshipping the Lord. And they were so filled with joy with us. And then later on we sang that song, joining with the saints and angels. And I thought, wow, thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. All I'm saying is this. We from time to time, we need to cleanse the lens of our perception of what it's like. Of what God himself is like. Jesus, in in this passage that I've read, talks about remaining. Remaining in the love of God. He says, I'm remaining in the love of God. I'm remaining in his love. And I want you also to remain in my love. And interestingly as well, Nehemiah, when the people are uh, coming back from the exile and see the state of the city and are rebuilding it and they realize that they've been very sinful against the Lord and upset him in many ways and they come back from the exile and they're very sad because they realize they've blown it. And Nehemiah says something very interesting to them. He says, okay, today's not a day for that because, you know the quote? Well, one person does anyway. (laughs) The joy of the Lord is your strength is what he says to him. So the Lord, first thing I want to say is this, the Lord has amazing love for you. Now I know Stuart Reed and he spoke excellently on more love recently. But in this passage, Jesus links love and joy together. So I'd just like to look at this for a moment. For if we don't know the love of God, then we'll never experience the joy of the Lord. So let's just cleanse the lens of our perception. The first thing is that love is a fundamental quality of God. The Apostle John tells us in one of his letters, God is love. How has the Father loved Jesus? Well, he says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So Jesus is loved with a perfect, flawless love. The love is not fickle. It's not changing. It's a love that seeks the highest good for the other person. It's a selfless love. It's a love not based on performance. You loved me before the creation of the world. To use the children's Sunday school song, it's so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get out of it. Oh, wonderful love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's a love that's stronger than any other love in the cosmos. It's a love that not even the ultimate enemy, death, can overcome. It's a love that that is at the very heart of the nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we need to receive that love in our experience because that love leads to joy. Romans 5 5 says this God has given us the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts with his love. And we need to remain in the love God has for us. Do you know your love by God? Do you know that his love is unchanging? Do you know that he gave his life for you? Not just knowing in your head, but in your experience as well. So that you've been filled with the love of God through the Holy Spirit. And as we do, we'll experience the very joy that is in God himself. Because they're inextricably linked together. Love and joy go together. So to experience God's joy, Jesus is saying, remain in God's love. Verse 9, he says, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, there are three elements to being a Christian how we think, how we live, and what we experience. I read this in a commentary which I thought was helpful. Discipleship is a way of thinking, another's doctrine and worldview. So we believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's our doctrine. And it affects how we see the world. So discipleship is a way of thinking. It's a way of living. Ethics. The moral sort of standards that we seek to have. In the way that we live our lives. That's an element of our discipleship. And a supernatural experience. That cannot be compared with anything in the world. So there's experience here as well. It's not just doctrine. It's not just a way of living. It is those things, but it's also experience. So I need my way of thinking to line up with what God says. I need my actions to reflect God's moral standards. But I also need first-hand experience. Otherwise, my Christian life will become like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son was a good guy. He did what the father wanted. But he didn't have the relational connection with his father. That's pretty obvious in the course of the parable. And he says this, the older brother. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Are you like that? Is that how you see God? I've been slaving for you. So how does that... What does that tell us about his perception of God the Father? He sees him as a slave driver, does he not? I just don't want to read about the joy of the Lord. I don't just want to read or hear about the love of God or simply nice sermons. I want to experience these things for myself. How about you? Do you want to experience the love of God for yourself? Do you want to experience the joy of the Lord being your strength? Because our... Uh, series title More and we had that about experience isn't it? Jesus points the way to experiencing this joy for ourselves verse 11 of chapter 15 I have told you this so that my joy may be in you if you want to experience more of the joy of the Lord we need to remain in the truth of the fact that we are loved by him You are loved by the Lord right now. Loved fully, unconditionally, totally, extremely, wonderfully, sacrificially, personally, loved by him. Amen? amen. If that's not enough to make us rejoice, (laughs) then we haven't quite got it yet. That may not be your fault. Maybe mine. Because I'm not explaining it very well. But God loves you right now. Oh wow, isn't that amazing? I don't know what kind of week you've had. Or month or year. I don't know what you're facing right now in your life. I don't know what your perception of yourself is like. Or when you look back on your life, you think, oh, what a mess I've made. That may be true, but God loves you right now. You're loved by him. Just receive that love. Just accept the fact that you're loved by him right now. Because it's the key then to receiving the joy of the Lord. Remaining in God's love is the key to experience the joy of God. To remain in God's love, well, you first of all have to experience it firsthand. Is your experience firsthand? Firsthand? well, I'm not sure if I've experienced God's love. Not sure. Not sure if I've experienced his joy or not. Then I would suggest that maybe you haven't. If that's the case, what would I recommend? This is what I would recommend. Ask him. Ask him. Tell him. I want to experience your love, O God. I want to know the joy of the Lord being my strength. Please, can you help me? And I'm sure that the Lord will will we want to keep his commandments realizing that God gives us his spirit to enable us to experience his love Jesus puts this in the context of one another interestingly enough in verse 12 my command is this love each other as I have loved you you know if you've got a critical spirit you're unlikely I would suggest to be experiencing the joy of the Lord especially if we're critical towards one another Because Jesus does not say, my command is this, be critical of one another. No, he says, my command is this, love each other. Love each other. How? As I have loved you. That sacrificial love. That gracious love. That kind love. That encouraging love. That patient love, love. That kind love. That gentle love. That honest love. As I have loved you. Love each other. As I have loved you. Last Sunday morning. I was leading the meeting up at Hazelmere. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And we have a little prayer meeting. Just in front of the stage there. Those those who are able to make it. And uh, I was there. And we were praying. And there were about. I don't know. A dozen of us in a little circle. Just standing at the front. And we were praying. And uh, one of the ladies was praying. In fact. It was Maria. Some of you may know her. She was praying and uh, it was lovely. It was great what she was praying. What was she praying? I don't know. I can't remember. But I do remember this. I was warming myself by the fire of her prayers. It was lovely. And I thought, yeah. Isn't that what it's about now as well? If we love one another. When others are praying, boy, there's a fire there, isn't there? It's encouraging. When others are singing around you, there's an acceleration, if you like, of faith. There's something about the strengthening of God's people together that enhances, in my experience, my personal experience of the love of God and my personal experience of the joy of the Lord. And I've can say that even from this morning, that as we've been gathering together and as we've been joyfully worshiping the Lord together, I feel with you, there's an enhanced sense of joy. And actually, when you're up here on the stage and you're leading the meeting or you're involved somehow up on the stage, it's, I tell you what, it's a triple blessing for us. And the reason is this, one, it's a privilege to be able to lead, but also to see you. It's a privilege. It's an honor because we see your faith. We see your joy. We see the love that you have. We see you rejoicing in the Lord. And I'll tell you what, it's fantastic. It's like there's a fire here in the auditorium, if you can imagine. You know, it's interesting that when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, it talks about tongues of fire falling on the disciples. What's still happening today in you? Tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit. So as we are up here on the stage and we're seeing you. And we're seeing the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire coming on you as you worship the Lord. And that fire spreads and it comes up onto the stage. Whoop! Doesn't it, Neil? comes up on the stage. And it's great. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We can be encouraged. So Jesus sets this in the context. What's my command? My command is this. Love one another? How do you love one another? As I have loved you. Because God wants us to know his joy. He says this, verse 1, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Well, you might say to me, well, doesn't it say that Jesus was a man of sorrows and one acquainted with grief? Ooh, see, Sometimes we can have this picture of Jesus being a kind of a doleful person. And you see all those religious paintings. I'm not sure I've ever seen any religious paintings where Jesus got a big smile on his face, to be quite honest. You go into you go into the National Gallery, I was in the National Gallery in London a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking at the religious yeah, they're all very Was he really like that? Well, the Psalms tell us that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. Yes, he was sad when he saw some of the things that were going on, I'm sure. Luke also talks in his gospel about Jesus being full of joy through the Holy Spirit. I wonder, what was it that drew the sinners and the the 'er ne'er-do-wells and the no-good people of the day, what was it that drew them to Jesus? Was it the fact that he was so miserable he made them feel even more miserable than they already were? Or was there something about being in his presence? Well, if God is love, I'll tell you what, I would love to be in his presence. Jesus walks in the room, yeah, get, get me a front seat, please. Because Jesus was the most joyful person on planet earth. And Jesus offered forgiveness. Jesus offered love. Jesus offered a new beginning. I tell you what Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents do you know who the most joyful people on earth are right now? The most joyful people on earth right now are those people who have the closest relationship with the Lord. In fact, could even be a measurement of how close we are to the Lord, how much joy we have. On a scale of one to ten, we had a worryometer last week, didn't we? A worryometer. Where are you on the scale of worry, not to ten? Well, we could have a joyometer, couldn't we? Where are you on the joyometer, from not to ten? Well, interesting thought, isn't it? More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. You know, heaven is a joyful place. It's not miserable. You know, when we've been there 10,000 years, sometimes I think, do I really want to be there 10,000 years? Sitting on a cloud playing a harp? With a halo around my head? Not that it's going to be like that, of course. But when we've been there 10,000, does that fill you with a sense, ooh, yeah. Wow. Heaven is going to be, I'm sure, an amazingly joyful place. By the way, knowing God's joy is nothing to do with your personality. Let me say that again. Knowing the joy of the Lord is nothing to do with your personality. So may I ask you, please, gently, kindly, please don't hide behind that. Well, I'm not just a joyful person by nature you know i 'm not given to bouts of wild enthusiasm uh, I know she's she 's naturally outgoing i 'm not like that and as for him well he 's just he 's just you know he 's a positive friendly guy. neither should we hide behind the excuse of i 'm just kind of i 'm just subdued by nature I like to just sit at the back and Observe others, and that's as far as I want to go. Thank you very much. Well, let me ask you this question Why bother to experience the joy of the Lord? Experiencing the joy of the Lord is to do with our connection to the source of life Himself, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, filled with a deep relational love, up to joy. It's that relational connection with God that Jesus opens up to us through his death and resurrection that enables us to experience his joy. What's the joy of the Lord like in that case? Well, here are a few things it's a joy that delights in the truth, it delights in all that is good and right and true, it delights in that which is pure and noble. It's a joy that hates evil. It's a joy that rejoices in who the Lord is. It's a joy that gives us strength to face the manifold difficulties of life. Are you experiencing the manifold difficulties of life at this time? Well, perhaps if you are, you need to experience more joy, not less. How could this be? Because my circumstances in the scales of life, my circumstances are weighing so heavily, where could joy possibly be in that circumstance? Does that mean then that our joy is completely dependent on our circumstances? Or not? Is it dependent on my personality? Or not? I think the Holy Spirit is described by Jesus as a living water. Life-giving water. I have to say, and I, boy, I don't want to give you the impression that I am floating through life. No, not true. Not floating through life at all. My feet are firmly on the ground. And sometimes, you know, I'm stumbling. I'm finding difficulties in life. There are situations that I'm facing. I'd rather not be in them. Rather be out of them. Thank you very much. I'm not into this. I'm not in any shape or form minimizing what people are going through. I've been through some difficult times myself. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit is living water. He's like living water. Hold on to this now. In the book of Ezekiel, it talks about this water coming from the throne of God. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And where does it eventually flow? It flows into the dead sea. <laughs> it flows into the dead sea. Have you got any dead seas in your life? Right now? The living water flows into the dead sea. And what does it do when it gets to the dead sea in the book of Ezekiel? It makes the waters of the dead sea fresh. How could that be? It's impossible. Well, of course it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. When I was a boy again, growing up in Scotland, we used to have a lovely time. It used to be a lot more freedom, I think, in those days than there is now. A lot less, perhaps, health and safety issues, I don't know. Uh, We just used to go running off as kids and play up in the hills and... Silly things and make camps and play cowboys and Indians and all that kind of stuff as we did when we were kids. And, and I remember by the there was a farm there, it was fairly rural, just on the edge of the city. There was a farm, and we used to go and play near the farm, and there was a, a, a path, and there was a burn. You know what a burn is? Yeah, it's a little stream. Good, well done. Yeah, it's a burn. And uh, we used to go there, and at the bottom of the hill, there was a spring of water. It was only a small spring of water. And used to love cupping our hands and a warm summer's day, and they were quite rare up there, but you could get them occasionally and drink the water. Lovely, fresh, cool, clear, pure. Or well, we thought it was and it was great. And what you could do, of course, is you could put your hand in the spring or you could stamp in the spring and muddy the water. Because we used to like doing that as kids, kind of things kids do. Stamp in the water and all get muddy. But as you watched it, something amazing would happen. The water began to clear again. Began to clear. Began to clear. Why? Because the spring was still flowing. I want to say this in your life too. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit is living water. And the Holy Spirit comes and sometimes up, may not be our own fault. The waters of our life, they get a bit muddy. The silt gets stirred up. may not be our own fault. Maybe other other things people have done to us or whatever. But the waters get all muddy. And, and we think it's going to be like that forever. No, no, no. It isn't. It isn't. Even this morning, I suspect, the Holy Spirit's at work in you. To just clear that. Just clear that. As he comes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. For when I experience the joy of the Lord, when I experience the joy of the Lord, I gain Strength and confidence. Even if my situation is the same. I see things differently. Even if my situation is the same. I see them from the perspective of the truth. That God is with me. Emmanuel. Amen. Let's clean the lens of our thinking about God. We are loved by him. He wants his joy to be complete in us. Well, is it complete in me? No. Nowhere near it. There's more to experience. Do you want to experience more of the joy of the Lord being? I do. Lord, help me. I want to remain in your love. Help me to remain in your love, Lord Jesus. And yes, I want to love one another just as you've loved. I'm not there yet. There's quite a way to go. I appreciate that. But thank you, Jesus, for your encouraging words to me. That I'm with you. God is with you. And, I'm, and I know I'm loved by you. You're loved by him. How are you loved by him? Just as the father loved Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Let's remain in his love. Have you experienced God's joy for yourself? Have you experienced the love of God for yourself? Yes, discipleship, that three chords. Yes, it's about how we live. But it's also about experiencing. Yes, it's about what we believe. Yes, but it's also about experiencing for ourselves. Perhaps you've never experienced God's love or his joy for yourself. Or you would like to experience it again. I hope you do. And I hope that in this next part of the meeting we're allowing a bit more time in order for us just to respond to what the Lord has been saying to us this morning.